What's up, everybody? Coming to you straight out of the DBT sound room, we're bringing you another episode of the Music Podcast Deluxe. That's right, Muck and Dre are back, baby, and we're ready to blow your mind. Woo! In season two, we're gonna keep doing what we do best, and that's talking about concerts, records, experiences, and everything in between. Make sure you stay up to date by hitting subscribe, because we're gonna have some kick-ass guests coming your way. So stay a while and make some time for music. If you hear anything coming from upstairs, it's not a poltergeist. It is Muck's dog, Lenny, the he, Greyhound. He's just shifting around. He's uh, a champion, Greyhound. They actually, yeah. It's a rescue. Yeah, it's so a rescue. We've had, him for, you guys. we've had him for a couple months now. It's been fucking awesome. Good for you. I'm giving Muck props right now. Boom. Good deed, rescuing a dog. Okay, what do we got tonight? Episode 20 of the Music Podcast Deluxe People. Today... We're going to go for it. We're doing a very focused episode. We're going to be talking about the former Le Studio in Morin Heights. Now, this is kind of an iconic Canadian studio. Uh, It's drawn acts from all across the world of all kinds of different genres and all kinds of different caliber. We felt it was necessary and there was more than enough material for an episode. You know, like we could really get into the history up there a bit. And, I mean, not to mention, it does kind of give props to Montreal and, and the whole surrounding area because, well, to have a famous studio close by is fucking awesome. Absolutely. It is a common theme at the Music Podcast Deluxe to touch on our local topics, you know, our, our, our surroundings. I mean, it makes sense because they're so close. We know that much more and it feels that much more important. Give you a little bit of background information. Le Studio was built in 1972, and the original owners were Andre Perry, Nick Blagona, and Yael Brandis. But you couldn't memorize all those, could you? No, I had to look at the notes. Definitely. So they, uh, yeah, they opened up this studio, and the setting was one of the things that made it so special. It was just south of Morin Heights in the Laurentians of Quebec. So you're talking like right in the woods, beautiful scenery, isolated. No distractions. There was a guest house about 30 minutes away where the artists would stay. So it was a whole kind of retreat experience. And I mean, I think we could relate to a certain extent. Well, yeah, you know, on two fronts. One, I mean, I've I've seen up north, right, in multiple ways. I've seen Morin Heights. I've seen Saint-Sauveur. I've seen uh, Mont Tremble, And, like, they're all spectacular. And the further north you go the more spectacular the views and the wildlife and the lakes and the ski hills and the, just the general scenery gets. Sure. So for one, the mountains get taller. Oh man. Everything yeah. gets more it dense and green. So for one, it must be beautiful. And on top of that, the whole idea of recording up North. I mean, we've, we've had experience with that, um, bringing our gear up North and setting up and on multiple occasions, uh, recording, um, just jamming to jam and spending our own little retreat up north for a weekend. And, and that experience is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was it was so bare bones when you think about it. I mean, we basically converted the upstairs living room. We just put mattresses up on the walls and set up our gear there. We had drum set, uh, the uh, bass and the guitar. And it was so nice how it was. The balcony, you know, the, the beautiful view right from where we were recording. Yeah. Inside, you wouldn't think it, but like... Just stepping outside onto the balcony and having the, the space to look out and, and see the lake and just see 
pretty much empty because, I mean, there's not really a lot of houses up there. But that's it. It's just a lack of distraction puts you in the put you in a really nice headspace to be creative. And at the same time, the internet was, it just didn't exist. Oh, yeah. So no we signal. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't be distracted by our phones. We just were able to focus on playing some awesome music. And, and when we originally had gone up, the first couple of times was with the old kit. And, I mean, we were both still learning to jam together. And you were just starting to become a drummer. So, like, that was an integral part of us sitting down and dedicating time to playing music. Oh, yeah. Totally. I mean, I think this was at the time where... We even had only one spot with cell phone reception. Mm-hmm. We had to walk out to the lake in order to get reception, you know? So, I mean, this is us trying to relate to Studio Morin Heights. You know, like, picture what, with a real studio what that would be like. You know, we were dealing with, you know, mattresses on the walls and uh, one shitty mic. And and a camera. <laughs> and a camera. You know, Le Studio. Okay, well, let's get into the gear here. They had something called... I gotta get my notes again because the solid names, state. Uh, it's a it's a solid state logic mixing desk. This thing was built in the UK and there was only a few available in North America. One of them was in Quebec, up at that studio, and it was one of those things that attracted people. You know, it was one of those things that gave them credibility. It you was, know, it was here this, and we're serious. You know, this is a real studio. It was just this massive console, right? Like huge, solid, one piece built, full like, analog. Well, that's kind of cool too because that that uh, that ties in a little bit to um, uh, Sonic Highway, right? And how uh, it's that same all... idea with that yeah. Neve console. Yeah, that, that that's that, that's exactly it. So you have this beautiful place with state of the art technology. No wonder it was successful, and it opened at a time where records were selling like crazy. It opened in se- it, they opened in seventy two, and it went well into the year two thousand. The the timeline was just primed for like a hot studio and that's basically what they got the list of artists that pass through there is long uh i'm gonna give you a few of them here hold well, on let me take a guess rush for sure rush did six stu- albums there right april they Wine? called it rush's abbey road whoa yeah like really? that, that was their preferred spot like e- even after even later they kept going and recording there that's that fucking spot. awesome so they found the spot they uh, they were probably drawn to the fact that there was a uh, a retreat not too far off the grounds, right? So they could just like go up there, record, hang out for a day or two or two three weeks, whatever or- it took. A couple months. Uh, the the Bee Gees were the the Bee Gees also recorded there in '76. They stayed for five months. Fucking what a party! Can you imagine how 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 much of that time was recorded? How much did they work? Right, exactly. Yeah, but not to knock them, but like, but this is all part of the experience. I mean, you give artists a reason to keep coming back at that point. And I, I wanted to say it earlier. Uh, April Wine also recorded a bunch of stuff up there, right? Being a, we have a local Montreal artist, Montreal yeah. uh, Quebec artist. April Wine, uh, Nazareth, The Police, Sting, Keith Richards, Brian Adams. Even Celine Dion. Well, one song, I think. One song, yeah. Still, still yeah, popped in and said, hey, this is an iconic studio I want to record here. And the list goes on. I think Corey Hart is on that list too. So if we keep going chronologically, in 86, Andre Perry uh, brought the studio to the Montreal Stock Exchange. They issued shares. And what they ended up doing with that money, they raised a whole bunch of money. They ended up buying equipment to record Movie sound effects. Okay. They wanted to branch off into different areas and try to expand. Uh, maybe these were signs that things started to slow down a little bit. They were looking to expand their interests, get into different different fields, and uh, 
and try to keep up. Probably there's, I mean, look, when you're talking about the gear that they had there, there must have been severe operating costs. I mean, I, and, and that's what it seems like if you look at the history, because two years later in 88, they sold the studio. Perry was retired by 1990. He got out of the game right, right before things started going bad. Mm. I think the record industry had another good, solid, maybe seven, eight years up until the year 2000, early 2000s, things started going to shit. So the guy got out when things were good. That's like Seinfeld style, you know, mm-hmm. ending on top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See ya, Jerry. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> my, my best so, attempt at a, uh, a George so, impression. So 1988, the place gets sold and changed name to Studio Morin Heights instead of Le Studio. And then got sold again in 93 to Equip Spectra. And in 93, what they tried to do was they opened up a new room where they had a digital mixing console and things were more affordable. They were able to open up to more local acts, people with less money, basically. They had a cheaper offer. Yeah. Yeah. So again, trying to expand. Uh, But then it was finally up for sale and closed down in July 2007. This was basically the end of the studio. It got sold in 2009 for $2.45 million. Still a fun fact. Respectable amount of money. Yeah. And there was plans to make a uh, spa out of the whole area. They were going to tear it up and make a spa there. That didn't end up happening. I don't know what happened with that deal. Suspicious fire in 2017. I don't know what the story is behind that. Every newspaper article I read said that, you know, there was suspicion of arson and maybe it was some sort of insurance uh, scam. Who knows? The place is burnt never, down and never it's completely find it. Well, it, did it, 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 complete, shit. it completely burnt or was it a, a big enough, or just a partial burning? It completely burnt down. Wow. Yeah, it was It was, um, mark, It was was uh, marked as a, a condemned property, I think, in 2015, uh, like abandoned. Re- ready to get torn down. Like. Yeah, and like I, there's all kinds of videos on YouTube where people have like broken in and taken their own videos. Uh, there's a guy that played a Rush cover in the room where Rush recorded. He played Limelight. And it's said to be the last performance in Le Studio Morin Heights before, before it burnt Before down. it was burnt down. Yeah. Wow. I got to check that video out. Is, that, is it somewhere? It, it, yeah, it's on YouTube. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. If you just go uh, search Limelight cover Le Studio, it, it's there. It's a guy sitting on the floor with his guitar and the place is all fucking shambles around him. But like, uh, so I guess they cleaned out all the, the equipment and stuff. Yeah, uh, most, of, just like most of what was valuable was removed. Apparently there was a grand piano in there and I don't know what year, but a it got stolen Whoa. at some point. Yeah, because I imagine they w- didn't have the capacity to move it, well, and they moved out all the stuff. Massive, right? So uh, exactly, like, and they were worried. Piano. They were yeah. worried that somebody was going to come and take it because of how difficult it was. But uh, somebody figured it out. <laughs> oh man, that's that's a shame, you know. Because I mean, we spend a little bit of time in, this, in a studio, right, or in a couple studios throughout uh, the last couple of years. Sure, man. Nothing serious, but we've spent a few hours in a studio. Yeah, and, and just that time that we spent there was really fucking cool. Like, you disconnect, and, and it's almost equivalent to going up north and, and kind of jamming, but you're going into a place to work, right? You have a goal set out. It's super stressful, but at the same time, it's really cool. Oh, it's and a totally... really relaxed environment. It's totally valuable. So, I mean, I ask you, if it's so valuable, how come Le Studio in Morin Heights failed at what it was doing? Because even in 2015, um, we can talk about Richard Baxter. Yeah. Um, so he, funny story, actually. He This is a guy, he's a Montreal musician. And uh, to give you a little backstory, he has a like a Dio cover band. And he plays buckets on the street. Like he's a street performer. We've I've been seeing this guy play 
As I come out of a concert at the end of the night, he always plays there. For, look, for sure, if you're from Montreal and you've walked on the you street know and this been to guy. a concert, you've yeah, seen this the, guy. Yeah, it's the bucket drummer dude. After the show, he's always there. I've been seeing this guy for fucking decades look, walking we, out of shows. We even played. saw him at uh, at Rockfest um, when we went down there. Remember? And, and yeah, I stopped he was, was like, down hey, there. Hey, he's still doing it. Yeah, he's like, oh, absolutely. You know, and he's like, you find me everywhere. And, yeah, uh, anyway, I, he well, he's tried a Kickstarter in 2015. Tried to raise money to save the studio, eight hundred grand, I think it was. Uh, he didn't. He didn't succeed there. And then we found a GoFundMe. Yeah, he made like he, like one percent. Yeah, like nine grand on eight hundred thousand. So. Yeah, he made one percent of his goal there too. So I mean, how come, man? I don't know. And just a quick note: I, I bought uh, that drummer CD. Remember when one time we picked it up on the street? Yeah, you got it, eh? Yeah. What's the uh, band called? Magica. I think that's the one. It was a long time ago, so I have to apologize. But uh, I do remember picking up a CD one night on the street. I'd love to listen to that again. I'll I'll find it. So, yeah, there could be a number of reasons. Obviously, the whole industry shifted and everything went digital. Uh, there, There was little reason for people to spend so much money trying to record an album. You went from people with big budgets that recorded in studio with a whole team to one artist building the whole album on his laptop or, in his office. Or an iPad, even. Right? Yeah, to, to, not even a computer would be necessary. You could use GarageBand and an iPad. And I, I think some artists actually pride themselves on doing all of their work on a cell phone or iPad. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, so it's a the, tough industry at this point. That's it. So, I mean, you have these huge costs that you have to uh, take on when you have a studio like Le Studio. I guess it makes sense it failed. But I heard something interesting, and this might contribute to the reason why it closed down. Uh, one of their engineers, uh, Ed Stasium, I was listening to another podcast, The Vinyl Guide. If you guys are music lovers and want to check another cool podcast out, check out The Vinyl Guide with Nate Goyer. I've been listening to it. He's like 100 plus episodes in. I'm a huge fan. So if you want to go check it out, he had Ed Stasium on. He was a sound engineer at Le Studio at a time, and he talks briefly about how he left Le Studio to go to New York to record the Ramones and how the environment in like Northern Canada was very much, you know, the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, uh, middle, like mid range kind of safe rock and roll at that point, you know, like okay. classic rock. There was nothing too edgy. There was no punk scene. No, and he's so, going down south into a punk scene here and like recording. But them. that's it. That's edge. Like that. That that was the future. That was right. what would like you know continue to. So maybe maybe they were kind of behind the curve at some point, and they 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 lost their edge, and then that kind of snowballed into the into bad industry into Whoa. whatever. I, I I think it's probably just the latter, like what we were talking about before about how technology changed and the music industry as a whole kind of just turned around and did a 180. Well, how many punk or metal bands uh, that, that were to follow would even like choose to go up and spend a whole bunch of money exactly. at, at a retreat? Exactly. That's not, that's not everyone's cup of tea, right? No. But there are still Montreal studios that are out there and that are making it work, you know, that are engaging with the local artists. and Yeah, and I, a so, lot of these smaller studios are producing music that ends up on the radio. You know, uh, we are Monroe's on Shome, the yeah. Damn Truth, the Troupe. These are all these are all artists that recorded locally. It's really cool to think about. And you know what? I'm gonna tell you if you're an artist and you're working on demos at home, and maybe you hit a wall or like a creative kind of dead space. I feel like if you've been able to save up enough money for a couple days in studio, maybe that will give you that next step, uh, that next kind of creative 
push, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, sitting down with somebody, all of a sudden you have a producer working with you. You have somebody on the other side of the glass giving you input if you want it, helping with the process. It could push you in different directions. And at the same time, I mean, you're you're helping promote our local scene, our local studios that are trying to make it in the industry, you know? That's right. You're supporting, you know, it, it's, it's part of the game, you know, mm-hmm. you support your local community. You want to go buy your record at a local record store. You know, if you have enough money and you're thinking about a stu- about studio time, maybe you need that. You know, go for it. So we have Le Studio burnt down. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention we're spending a lot of time talking about the place, but if you want to see it, if you go on YouTube and you type Le Studio, uh, there's a couple videos of people going through it when it's kind of in ruins. You want to see it in its prime. Uh, the Tom Sawyer video, the Russia's Tom Sawyer That's video, right. is actually recorded up there on the grounds around it and inside the studio. So that'll give you a little bit of a, a look inside and it's prime, you know, like when it was top notch, you know, pumping out the hits. That's good. At least there's some some video footage, there's some video footage that puts yeah. you in a, in a cool spotlight. Totally. Okay. Well, I mean, and of course, in like true music podcast deluxe fashion, as I'm doing research about Le Studio, I start thinking about all the albums that were recorded there and I got to go listen to them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I just want to highlight a couple interesting I, ones. I probably have a few here. Yeah, you do. You have uh, moving pictures. Mm-hmm. That was just north of us, man. In arm's reach. That close. And, I mean, if you want to get technical, I think the, is it the drummer from April Wine? He pretty much plays across the street from my house. Oh, yeah. He's a Every, Two Mountains uh, guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Local fun facts. Yeah. With DBTH. Well, the Bee Gees. Children of the World. This was recorded in 1976. Right in the middle of, like, disco's peak. You know, this is, like... Saturday Night Fever came out in 77, like right after this. So you got to picture the, uh, you got to picture the, 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 the culture here. Eight, the BG steps into Le Studio to record their 14th album. My God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like third. 14th, man. Like this is a band that is experienced at this point, you know, mm. like they're, 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 they know what they're doing. They have the genre kind of laid out right in front of them. They basically defined it. And they step in for their 14th album. Now, I feel this one's a little funkier, a little more soulful, R&B. You got songs like Boogie Child, which is basically a funk song. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, You get You Should Be Dancing, that is incredibly catchy. I love the track. So you have these, like, I don't know, for me personally, a guilty pleasure kind of song. I don't know. You like disco? Yeah. You like to uh, shake your ass and get into tight pants and all that? No. No, no like, but the like songs sweat, are catchy, sweatpants, right? Sweatpants and jeans. I know, but the songs, the, the, the hooks and like the melodies, mm-hmm. I, I love good pop. And a lot of disco songs are just that, you know? Anyway, I really enjoyed that one. They sold uh, 2.5 million copies. It did well. Let's just say that. A lot of the songs of ended up on Saturday Night Fever uh, soundtrack. Did they? For, specifically from that album? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, Saturday Night Fever is kind of like a yeah. Bee Gees, like a Bee Gees kind of scrapbook. <laughs> it's a lot of Bee Gees on there. Second album I wanted to talk about, and this would be the last band called Moist. Ah, word. Moist. Now, I would be lying if I said I chose this album for any other reason than to say the word moist what do you like moist on the podcast no actually they were one of the first canadian alternative bands i got into really yeah these guys got into the alternative game in 92 
They're from Vancouver, which is just north of Seattle. Makes sense. Seattle grunge scene kind of bled over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Took about two two years to bleed over. And then you get bands like uh, Moist. Their first album, Silver, was better than this one. That was 94. This album's called Creature. Came out in 96. It wasn't as good as their first album. It still had some good singles on it. And it came out at that point in time where music videos were like really big. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing them in high rotation on much music. And with Tarzan Dan or was that much later? No, uh, Tarzan Dan would have been the first album. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, by 96, he might've been wrapped up. Not sure though. Maybe Tarzan Maybe close. Dan as well. Maybe close. Yeah. So you get songs like leave it alone, resurrection, but between those, like maybe four good songs, you have a good amount of filler. I'm not gonna, I won't lie about that. Still a cool album. Still cool, it was recorded at Le Studio because this was 96, so it's towards the end of its run. Mm-hmm. It's one of the the later albums that came out of there. So uh, I thought it was important to mention something a little later. We spent so much time talking about the 70s and really Rush right. and Police and all that business. So, And there you have it, folks. Le Studio, Morin Heights. That is our uh, short history, our... In- informational ses- uh, session. I just find studios interesting in general. You know what I mean? And... It's worth mentioning, if you're listening to this and you own or work at a studio in Montreal, you want to sit down and talk to us about your experiences, maybe some new projects you're working on, maybe a completely different topic altogether, you know, reach out to us. Where can they find us? You can shoot us an email um, at thedbthguys at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook at thedbthguys. You can also hit us up on Instagram, uh, thedbthguys. That's right. And... um, where else? And that's pretty much... Uh, We're all over the last Yeah, game. I mean, uh, Twitter every now and then. If you search Don't but Believe the Hype or DBTH, pretty much wherever, you'll, you'll find it. Not the public enemy stuff. So, uh, yeah, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and uh, for those of you listening throughout the uh, different methods, Spotify, iTunes, uh, make sure you guys subscribe, leave some comments and reviews, and uh, let us know what you think. And most importantly, remember, everybody... Make some time for music. It's fucking important.